Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. Oh, we're finally recording. Ugh. Oh, we just spent a couple hours fumbling with the recording equipment because it wasn't cooperating. So, I'm glad that we are finally rolling. Do we have anything to talk about? <laughs> Probably should have figured that out before we uh, spent all that time trying to actually record something. Did you watch any, uh, did you get to watch any movies this week? We went and saw the Grand Budapest Hotel. That's true. I was there on uh, on Easter Sunday. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, it was like a week ago, but yeah, yeah we didn't talk about it last episode, so I really liked Grand Budapest Hotel. Me too. You know, I mean, Wes Anderson, I think I've seen all of his films, and... Have you seen the Bottle Rocket short? Yes. That's the only one I haven't seen. I think that I... I, I watched it a while ago, and I kind of confuse it with the actual movie. But, yeah, so I, I've seen all of his feature films anyway. And, I mean, he doesn't really make bad movies. Um, I know you don't really care for Rushmore. Yeah. Not really. But, I, mean, I should give it another shot at some point, because like, I know so many people who love it, and who think it's so much greater than all of his other movies. So maybe there's something there I'm just not getting, maybe I was in a mood that night, you know, mood sometimes affects... Yeah, and, and there's this sort of, like, not quite nostalgia factor, but, like, your first introduction to something is usually, like, the thing that you hold up as your sort of, like... A standard and then every then you measure everything that comes after that so like if like i i saw royal tenenbaums first me too got it for 2.99 at entertainment video the criterion and everything wow but, yeah nice so i kind of like think of that as like i guess i mean it's hard, it's hard for me to say like which of his films is my favorite i rewatched royal tenenbaums a couple years ago because uh, I wanted to show it to my mom. Because, like, I'm always like, she doesn't really like movies. So I'm always looking for movies like, oh, she might like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, she did not care for it. I also somehow ended up watching Rushmore with her, too. She didn't care for that at all. And also Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, for 3, as far as my mom and Wes Anderson are concerned. But I, I didn't... On seeing Royal Tenenbaums, like, a couple years ago, for probably what might have been, like, the fourth time... It didn't really do much for me. And um, and I wonder if it is just like that immediate... Yeah, like that like a few of... years from now, maybe I won't be as thrilled with Grand Budapest Hotel, but right now I'm like, fuck yeah, Grand Budapest. Yeah, Grand Budapest was great. I might, I might put Life Aquatic as my top. Um, but that was like the first one of his films that I saw in the theater. So like that kind of like... It was, like, the first one that I saw that was, like, new, you know? Like, I already knew who he was, and it was, like... Yeah. Like, that kind of experience always, to me, sort of, like, seems like those are the ones that I always point to as being, like, my favorites of, you know, whether it's, like, a band or a filmmaker or whatever. Life that Aqua- first real experience with them. Life Aquatic was... By that time, I'd, I'd already seen Royal Tenenbaums, and I'd seen Bottle Rocket. And I saw... I watched Life Aquatic. I got the DVD, like, the day it came out. Uh, so I didn't see it in theaters or anything, mm. but like it was still it was newer than most movies that I was watching. Yeah, and I remember so being confused because so many people did not like Life Aquatic. 
yeah, that's I think there was a lot of negative crazy. like it was well, I think it was part of it was like backlash because Wes Anderson had sort of been like rising for the past few years and there's always someone waiting to like knock you down. Yeah. Or like and he definitely has there's the Wes Anderson style. Yeah. And if you don't like that style, then you won't like and any it's of his movies. getting shoved in your face all the time by other critics and stuff right. telling you, Oh no, this is great. Then you're just like, you just get pissed. Um, yeah. And I get that. Yeah. Like it, Wes Anderson definitely is a specific kind of taste, I guess. Yeah. And it's like, it's not something that I could necessarily really like, like I, I like how his films are kind of paced out over the years. Like, I like how, like, every two or three years, it's like, oh, there's a new Wes Anderson. Yeah. We're back in his world, you know, and I like, I like visiting his, revisiting his world. And I like how it's like a, there's like a, a snowball effect going on with actors he works mm-hmm. with. Yeah, where it's, it's like, like, you do one, you're going to be back and later. And pulling then, up in the next one, and yeah. then they're like, and then well, you get, pair these two together and bring them in. Then Grand Budapest, like, there's just so many people. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, but I think... Every film by every filmmaker was like a Wes Anderson film, then I would just want to shoot myself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, I can't imagine just like cracking out to all of his films, like, all the time. Like, when Napoleon Dynamite came out, it seemed to be like a stab at lowbrow Wes Andersonism. Mm. And, like, I never really thought about that, but I totally. It has, that. like, the kind of like. Not long takes, but takes that go slightly longer than they should before the cut comes mm. and like very um like tableau vivant type compositions where it's kind of standing and yeah centered and... um and i i enjoyed napoleon dynamite um but it just there have been films that just like they're trying too hard to recapture that and it's mm-hmm. like that's his let him do it yeah it really is like i mean he's owned it claimed it any any other attempt would just feel like like aping or yeah. mo- you know like imitating and that's one thing that like i'm always worried about going into like the new wes anderson movie i just wonder like how many time how many films can he make before he even gets tired of his own style yeah you know i i imagine that like at some some day some some point in the future he's going to be like all right i've I've said everything I can possibly say <laughs> in this sort of style. And he'll want to do something like completely different. And uh And then he out he comes with his found footage horror movie or something. <laughs> like <laughs> And that's like the, I feel like it's very dangerous because because so there are so many just like very similar kinds of things happening in his movies. Like we see the same kinds of shots over yeah. and over and over again we see the same kind of moments we see the same kind of like art direction and like just a pure aesthetic that i feel like if you're doing that like for how many years has he been doing it like you know 15 years or so probably when did bottle rocket come out uh was that 96 i think so like 18 years yeah something like that wow people born in 96 are 18 that's weird Oh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um you know, you do it that long, it could be very it could become very easy to just sort of like phone it in, yeah. you know? And you wind up like working with people who are like 
who might think that they know like oh this is very like wes anderson and so they're like you know the the set decorators and stuff are doing things that are like that they think is wes anderson or whatever and if you're not like on top of your game every single time it could very well become something that looks like it's trying to be a wes anderson movie and that would be like the saddest thing to to see from him you know yeah. something that it looks like it's trying to be the kind of movie that he made before do you see the snl sketch from i think it was last year yeah edward yeah. norton was hosting <laughs> yeah they did a great like it was like if wes anderson directed a slasher movie mm-hmm. and it was hilarious and yeah. it was dead on yeah and it's like oh if it's that easily identifiable because i mean everyone it's not even just like quote film people it's just like everyone knows like that wes anderson style mm. and if it's that recognizable he really is like just he's painted in a corner yeah then that's what i'm like always worried about like yeah. going into grand budapest i was like <laughs> hopefully this isn't the movie you know this isn't the movie that we see that he's sort of like peaked and now is on the down hill and he's just trying just like desperately trying to do wes anderson you know but thankfully that's not the case grand budapest hotel feels just as wonderful as any of his great movies i think part of it might have to do with um there's like a darkness to it that there's been darkness before i mean like luke wilson's suicide attempt in royal tenenbaums Mm -hmm. and the, and the the shark attack at the end of Life Aquatic, but the, yeah, there's like the whole Jeff Goldblum's character, mm-hmm. like the whole like sort of Hitchcockian sequence leading up to yeah, and we won't spoil anything um, leading up to the end of the scene. <laughs> I'll say, but yeah, there are definitely dark, very sort of dark moments, and you start like throughout. But it, has a dark, film, it has a humor about it. It's yeah, very dark humor. And it's, like, layered lightly throughout, like, the beginnings of the movie. By the end of the movie, you realize, like, this is sort of... He's talking about, like, the Holocaust. Yeah. he's. It's like in the... Have you seen Cabaret? <laughs> I saw it a long time ago, I think back in, like, 2003, at Ryan Fitzgerald's birthday party. I think you told me this before. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking it was an odd birthday movie. It was. Yeah. It was an odd birthday it's movie. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorites, but... I w- yeah. My attention was kind of divided. <clears throat> understandable well you know it, it like takes place in like weimar germany before the rise of the nazis and like throughout the early parts of the film the nazis are kind of there and then like as it goes on they're more and more present and then like the last shot of the film like the mc says you know like uh good night and stuff and then like the camera pans over and you see the audience is full of nazis like they've sort of silently infiltrated the movie yeah and in grand budapest like it's so focused on like the main protagonist that you don't realize i mean it, it's great because it never they don't talk about nazis well and they don't say set like, like a somewhat slightly fictionalized world it's like other well it takes place in 1932 mm-hmm. and like in the early 30s there were so many of these movies we kind of talked about this in the frankenstein unbound episode in regards to the universal monster right. movies it's like this mythical europe yeah there's all these made-up places like vasaria made-up in, countries in the frankenstein sequels and yeah and like all of like lubitsch's musicals of that era like they're just and they have to do with these like 
kingdoms that sort of exist, mm-hmm. but not really. And it's like that's and are what... sort of modern, but not really. And it's just like and clearly like Grand Budapest Hotel, well Budapest, Hungary. So right. like, but aside from that, it's just like yeah, all it's the, just all this the magical other, like, land that exists only in the movies, cities and countries and stuff are all fictionalized. And, and there's it... this sort of like Nazi-like party that's sort of coming to power mm. as the movie goes on. So it's sort of like seemingly setting up like a fictional World War Two, and that actually makes me really. Wouldn't you love to see like a war movie, like a World War Two movie by Wes Anderson? Curious about it. I don't know if I'd if I want to see it. I, think I, it I I'd cool. like to see. Well, one of the things that he showed in this movie is that he can do action sequences. Yeah, in his they, way. Yeah. <laughs> They're very like artificial, mm-hmm. like which is his style and that's fine. Artifice is fine. But they're it's they're they're rollicking. Yeah, there's this okay. one set piece in particular that is amazing and highly entertaining, but like the the sort of like the way that they achieve some of the effects in it, you clearly see that it's like fake, but that's kind of like part of what makes it charming and enjoyable it was a perfect movie to watch on easter because the whole thing looked like candy it was like a movie made out of candy (laughs) did you get that at all something with the colors and like the textures well and there's a lot there's the whole um there's like the bakery where they're like making these like little that too definitely stuff now you haven't seen schindler's list right nope right We're, we're the two people who haven't seen schindler's list but apparently uh ray fines who is like the sort of the protect like one of the two main people mm-hmm. he's maybe not the protagonist but he's sort of the main character he's kind of like way. the instigator of the story and he's the father figure that is needed in every single wes anderson movie because every single wes anderson movie has to be about either the relation to or the lack of a father figure mm. and he played a pivotal role in the movie schindler's list and uh it's interesting. There is a there is a scene late in the film where it goes to black and white. Yeah, very briefly. And uh, Schindler's List was in black and white, of course, for the most part. And I don't really want to talk about that scene at yeah, all because, because I mean, we people talk should about see what, the movie. What that and, kind of means and everything. Yeah. but like it would kind of be a spoiler. Yeah. But Ralph finds Rafe finds. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's Rafe. But it's spelled Ralph. It's spelled Ralph. Yes. Okay. But it's Rafe. Rafe finds i don't know he <laughs> really impressed me in this <clears throat> movie yeah i haven't seen him in much no me neither i've just um, seen i've seen spider the david cronenberg film i haven't seen that but he's amazing and he's a completely like he's in a mental institution and he's living a completely like internalized existence and which is as you can imagine very hard to act because mm. acting is external <laughs> yeah i mean and everything that i've sort of like know him from like i never think of him as like a comedic actor yeah but my god is he funny yes he's amazingly funny in uh in in grand budapest hotel i mean i guess i've seen him in the harry potter films as he who shall not be named (laughs) and um i I didn't know he was in those but he's british so i should have assumed yes pretty much any british actor who's ever been acclaimed for anything they got them in there Mm. Yeah, and he's also he was also in the uh, the last James Bond movie, Skyfall. 
but I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm sure there's other things that I've seen him in. I just can't think off the top. I always think of him as being like a costume drama type actor. And And I might just be assuming that because I don't know. Like, well, he was in The English Patient, which is sort of that, I guess. But I, I don't know. But seeing him like just running around and like just being having moments of just over the top craziness and then bringing it back down to this sort of like centered poetic kind of guy. It was, he was just amazing. Just so much fun to watch. And it just really, I mean, again, the film is set in 1932 and it kind of harkens back to that sort of like screwball era. Yeah. Yeah. Just where it's all like, it's like a farce and it's like all like antics. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. Another film that came out in 1932, well, not another film, a film that came out in 1932 was Grand Hotel, mm-hmm. which I kind of went into this thinking like, oh, is it going to like connect to that in any way? And there were little bits. There's like a, I don't know, like there's some of the same, like Gene Herschel in Grand Hotel kind of wears the same uniform as like one of the people at like a bellhop or something. Yeah, the, it, more, more so towards the beginning of the movie when they're kind of like introducing all these sort of various characters yeah. in the hotel that don't really have much to do with the plot at right all. that's where i was thinking that it was more like grand hotel because yeah before seeing the movie i literally didn't i didn't see a trailer or even a poster or anything all i knew was that it was i just knew the title and that it was west anderson movie and that's all i needed to know i saw the trailer interested. so many times and i was surprised that I never got sick of it because every time I saw it, it was it was like a, it was like a different audience, and they were always like into it. Mm. Like they did, they seemed confused. Like what is this? But they were laughing. And, um, so yeah, I I just assumed that it would be something like the whole movie takes place in this hotel, and it's like you know, like four rooms all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's to- it was totally surprising and like. The, the the plot goes in different places and there's so many different kinds of scenes and genres that are being played around with that it it was just it's it's just a joy to watch it's like a it it, it sort of has that like early hitchcock feel well it's in the 30s like 30s mm-hmm. hitchcock um and then like it's a prison movie at one point yeah it becomes yeah it's like a prison breakout thing and then there's like this i mean we won't get into yeah. things, but I mean, it, yeah, it it goes places that you never really expect. And Willem it's Dafoe is almost like this is, whodunit kind of aspect, and then Willem Dafoe is really creepy. Oh, um, Willem Dafoe is just amazing. And Adrian Brody as John Phelps. Yeah, that was <laughs> funny. <laughs> we were like walking into the theater. We see the poster and this picture of Adrian Brody. It looks exactly like our friend John. Yeah, like almost uncanny. And then watching the movie, I'm just like can't believe that john's in this movie <laughs> not so much in in acting or temperament but just like the way that he looks i hope not <laughs> it also kind of reminded me in parts of uh renoir's grand illusion which like i haven't seen that you should see it a lot of people say it's the greatest war film ever made even though it doesn't show a single scene of combat mm. it takes place mostly in a pow camp and um sort of like friendships start to appear like in the camp between different prisoners and stuff but there's this great friendship at the center of the film between the head of the camp played by Eric von Stroheim and 
it's a German POW camp and they have French prisoners. So the German head of the camp and one of the French prisoners become friends because they're of the same class. And it takes place during World War One, And it's like the class system is still at its peak in Europe. But by the time of World War Two, partially because of World War One, like the classes are just like... Mm-hmm that's not what it is anymore. It's like, no, it's not the class. It's your country. And, um, it's, it just sort of reminds me of like the, I don't remember Ray finds his character's name. He's like the main guy. What is it? Mr. Oh, well, whoever he is. <laughs> oh man. No, it's not early, very early in the film. They take a, a trip to a funeral on a train and, soldiers come in and ask for papers but everything turns out fine because there's like this uh there's this politeness there's like this cultivated there's like a trust sort of between these two members of the same class even though Mm -hmm. they're not like one of the soldiers knew him as a child and like it's like oh it doesn't matter that we're from we're different countries you're a soldier i'm you don't know who i am he needs papers because there's still that sort of class thing and then there's a mirror scene sort of later in the film that comments on that mm-hmm. but but yeah you should see Grand Illusion everybody should see Grand Illusion everybody should see as many genre noir films as they can yeah one of the only things uh, one, of, one of the other things I wanted to say about Grand Budapest Hotel before we move on is the aspect ratio yes situation which if you haven't seen it just you know pay attention to the shape of the frame as the as the the movie cuts between scene to scene and particularly time period to time period, because the story has this nested quality where we kind of like go back in time um, from like modern day time to 1932 when the, the story really happens. And in each in, in each of these different time periods that we see, the aspect four ratio all, right? changes yeah. to sort of like mirror, the what kinds of films were being made in those eras which i've never seen before and i think is just brilliant and really really cool and it kind of like helps make each of those scenes feel of their time period yeah and it's a cool way of using just the language of cinema to show that kind of thing so yeah keep an eye out for that Oh, and stay in the theater until the credits are over. Yeah, You'll yeah. get a nice little treat. Yeah, there is a fun little thing. So it's a, it's nothing plot wise. It's just a little extra enjoyment. Yeah, that it's it's a trifle. Reward you for <laughs> for watching the credits. Yeah, this so. is three in a row I've seen in theaters from Wes Anderson. I've seen them all since uh, Life Aquatic. Will the you win? I'm pretty sure. Because it was Life Aquatic, then um, Darjeeling. Darjeeling Limited, and Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom. And this. Yeah, so I've seen those all of those in the theater. I think I saw Fantastic Mr. Fox with you. Oh, really? Well, I went with a bunch of people, and they were people that you normally hang out with. Okay. So, yeah, we probably saw it. That was, the, the, that was the big, a big night. That was where... Um, Oh, let's see. Oh, wait a minute. Was this... Was, like, Charlotte and Regina? Were they there? 
Regina was there. Oh yeah, and I remember I hadn't seen her in like a couple years, and I was like, "What the hell are you doing here?" She's like, "What are you doing here?" And I'm like, "These are all my friends." And we met over at Charlotte's place first, I think. And then, we, or we went back. To I met everybody at the theater. Okay. I think I, I think Justin we went, and I we showed went up. back to Charlotte's place afterward. We went to a party at Kevin Stevenson's. Oh, okay. A party at which Delbert Gregory convinced me that I should go back to work at Bard, which I did. <laughs> and um, Alicia was there. She was one of those people who nobody would really seen since high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just like, what the hell is she doing here? She still exists. And it was just something like other stuff happened that night. Just stuff that basically led to the next three or four years of everybody's lives. Wow. It was weird. I guess we have the fantastic Mr. Fox <laughs> to thank for it all. So, yeah. Uh, see Grand Budapest Hotel. This That was actually a suggestion, I believe. Yeah. From uh, uh, Derek Bancroft suggested that we watch and discuss Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, we watched it, and so I guess this half-hour discussion is uh, is what you'll get out of that. But uh, this episode is devoted to another film suggested by Kayla Del Giorno, who happens to be my girlfriend. So I guess maybe there's a little bias there. Fists in the Pocket. It's a weird movie. Yeah. It was, I, I didn't really know what to expect going in. Something about, I'm not sure what I'd heard about it. I mean, I knew it was about a guy dealing with his dysfunctional family, which is very, that's a lot of movies. Yeah, that's literally, like, if you go to IMDb and look at just, like, the plot <laughs> description, that's all it says is, like, a man tries to work through the his dysfunctional family's issues. I expected it to which be... Which sounds a, just thrilling. <laughs> I expected it to be a depressing movie, which it, it somewhat is, but it's such a great movie that you're not like drained afterwards the the film was made in uh, 1965 by italian director marco bellocchio marky b or marky b yeah now in 1965 do you think it's any there's any significance to having a um a retarded character named leone (laughs) or is that just coincidence um, yeah, I think that's... Because he'd, he'd done Fistful of Dollars, and for a few dollars more, it came out in 65. I feel like it's it's probably just a coincidence. Right. But... I mean, at this point in the world's existence, I feel like when most people just hear a name... I mean, Leone, there are a lot, of, Leone. there are a lot of Leones, though. Yeah. In the present day, uh, experience watching it, though, I feel like mm-hmm. you hear Leone and you think Sergio, Sergio. so... Yeah, so this movie is it's a bit hard to describe. If you haven't seen it, to try to like describe the plot is a bit tricky, I I guess. It's about a family, a very um, a very dis, dis I mean dysfunctional doesn't really like do do the family justice, I'd say. There's three brothers, one sister and the mother. Mm-hmm. The mother is blind. One of the brothers is retarded. The other one is epileptic. 
it's and well, then some like yeah. and there's he has more issues than just that there's uh that one brother who i think is the middle brother i wasn't sure of the ages it, exactly it seems like our main character is the middle brother i, I believe who i it when it starts out you think it's going to be the other brother yeah like the like the so-called normal guy it with a girlfriend like he's like the oldest and, brother yeah his name is uh augusto is the oldest brother then our main character is alessandro who sandro yeah the most like his sister calls him ale ale and, and then, then other characters call him sandro we'll call him sandro and the youngest brother, the mentally disabled brother, is uh, Leone. And then their sister is Julia. And uh, they kind of exist in their own sort of little world, seemingly just separated from all of civilization. Like Spider Baby. Yeah. Have you seen Spider Baby? Yeah. It, it reminded me a lot of Spider Baby as that it was makes going sense, along. Yeah. It reminded me of a movie that came out in 2009. I think it's like a Greek film called Dogtooth. I haven't seen it. That's a really, it's a cool movie. Really kind of like fucked up and weird, but very unique and, and strange. But that movie also deals with a a family that's kind of like goes by its own set of rules in that movie there's like three siblings and it's more of like the parents are sort of like raising them in this very bizarre kind of way mm. to make so that they just have a very strange worldview and the way that they interact with each other in this movie it's kind of like that where you feel like they're they have their own sort of they operate by their own set of rules and they have their own odd family dynamic that is hard to sort of relate to in a way. And you get the sense that all of them have some form of mental illness. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of movies like that. And I like those movies. Like, they're not always great, but there's something, like, about just, like, these families that, like, they exist unto themselves. Mm-hmm. And then, like, people end up... Well, like, often it's in, like, horror movies. Right. Like, motel hell or texas Chainsaw Chainsaw massacre Massacre. yeah Yeah, like like oops we ended up crossing paths with this family and yeah it's but it's usually shown from like the outsider's perspective yeah sort of entering in this bizarre world where seemingly you're just in this other dimension where people are just crazy yeah but this our main character is right in the dead center of the family and is kind of in a lot of ways, like, the heart of the family. In that, like, the old, the eldest brother has sort of, like, moved on from the family for the most part. He's out trying to live, like, a so- so-called like, normal life of some kind. He has a girlfriend. A he, fiance. Yeah. They're, they're going to get married. and um, They just need money for an apartment in town. And, you know, he dresses nice and has, like, a slick hair style and... A uh, nice car and probably a good job, and you know, seems seems like a normal, upstanding citizen. But Sandro is kind of like 
stuck at home and the the whole time as you as we spend more time with him and sort of see the things that he does and try as we the audience try to understand like why he does the things that he does i just kept thinking like he just seems like just bored by everything and he's like constantly trying to entertain himself and trying to find some kind of uh happiness however fleeting and he just feels very stuck in this uh place and time and it, it the whole from from early on in the movie we sort of learn that he's kind of plotting to kill his entire family <laughs> and at first it's sort of like in the name of his older brother augusto he's kind of like wouldn't your life be way better if i just got the whole family into a car and i just drove that car right off a cliff like wouldn't you love that because then you'd have enough money to live your life and you wouldn't be burdened by all of us crazy people but the thing of it is like i mean augusto is just as crazy as <laughs> as the rest of his family mm. pretty much i mean they all lack empathy and are very kind of self-centered in their world views and Sandro and his sister Julia have somewhat of an interesting relationship and at times it almost feels a little incestuous but without the sex did you kind of like get that definitely it's it's like romantic without any physical acts involved yeah I mean they're very like they're physically close and they're Mm -hmm. always like hugging and like touching in some manner but they don't like kiss each other on the lips or have sex or anything Mm -hmm. like he goes elsewhere for sex and then she really wants to see who he had sex with and she's very excited about it and she wants to see her again and Mm -hmm. like let's keep driving by and see this prostitute I like the, the casual way that prostitution is portrayed in it which for italy at the time i don't know much about now but italy at the time it's like yeah you go have sex with a prostitute and you go home like you work all day and then you go to your prostitute and then you go home to your wife (laughs) as it should be (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i think like er like in the very first one of the first scenes they say uh julia says that sandra wrote her like a love poem Mm. or something like that and it's interesting as as you're watching the movie without knowing anything of what's going on like you don't know like the relationships like i didn't know who i assumed that they were all related when they all sit down to dinner right but like you don't know exactly how and when at first when she's talking about like oh you know sandra wrote me a love poem you think like oh he's you know her admirer or boyfriend or whoever but then it's like no that's his brother or that's her brother you're like, well, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I like that it took a while to figure everybody out. And, like, it didn't... The film is is um, not necessarily shot, but at least edited in a very disjointed manner. Mm-hmm. There's really no uh, access for the cutting. It's constantly just, like... Like, the cuts don't always match as far as, like, the 180-degree line of access goes and stuff like that. Yeah. And there was a moment in that first scene where they're all at the table where I thought that there were twins mm. 
because it would show Sandro from like different angles, right. like right after each other. And I was like, oh, okay. And then now, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, in the way that that table scene was shot, I, I didn't know like where they were sitting in relation to each other. Right. So when he was like kicking her legs underneath the table. Yeah. Like I, I, for some reason, thought that like that was his mother at first, mm. but. Yeah, I mean, it is, like, the whole time, and I, like, admittedly, I was kind of sleepy, even before we started watching the movie, and then when you start watching, like, you know, a foreign film that has subtitles, and you're reading, kind of, like, wears on your eyes, and I was getting a bit drowsy in, in parts, so the the effect was that the whole movie just felt like this very strange dream, and, I mean, the movie itself, like, is very dreamlike in the way that, yes. it's, in the way that it's edited, and just, like, we flow from one thing into the next and it all is just this kind of like, and you don't really necessarily know like how much time has passed between certain events and stuff. It's just all kind of like this blur of, you kind you kind of get the sense of just like, if you were just living in this house with this family and you didn't go anywhere else, your life would just become this sort of endless blur of these like weird moment like just strange moments and like pent up emotions and like sudden outbursts of anger and just like that kind of restlessness is really like how i felt that uh sandro was really kind of feeling and i think that that's what ultimately the name of the movie fists in the pocket kind of refers to it's that like sort of like the fists are like you know your physical sort of manifestation of your anger but you're kind of like hiding it in your pocket and kind of like just silently internalizing all of your emotions and not able to sort of take your fist out, basically. But ultimately, Sandro does when he uh, starts killing off his family members, which both of those scenes, the first one in which he kills his uh, mother... And in the second one where he kills his younger brother, Leone, I mean, they're both so well done. And they could have been done, there's a million ways to do anything, but they're, in, with the movie that surrounds those scenes, they could have been done as like black comic scenes, mm-hmm. but they were just, they were heartbreaking. Yeah. But just like, just the images of them were just so striking and beautiful like that location that they found for like that sort of the, curve, the bend in the road the cliff yeah is just gorgeous just absolutely beautiful just the the scenery and the background and even like there's sort of like a patio sort of out the um the sort of porch area yeah in the background you have these like amazing mountains and vistas they're, was, in, they're in this just beautiful country it was shot at the director's mother's house Really? Which is weird. That it's is like, hey, mom, I'm going to shoot this movie in your house. It's about this guy killing his mother. And, yeah. <laughs> like, he's just so fed up with his mom. <laughs> and he just wants to push her off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking because, like, the mother is probably is the most sympathetic character in the movie. She's blind. She has no idea what's going on. She's blind. She's blind in, like, many senses of the word. Yeah. And she's kind of just, like... Yeah, exactly. Like she doesn't really involve herself too much in the lives of her family so much. She just kind of like 
exists there. That oblivious parenting sort of leads to mm-hmm. those children being the way they are. Yeah. And so it's not like she, it's not like, you know, Sandro's motivations to kill his mother are like that of like, oh, she was like the evil stepmother who, mm. you know, tormented him his whole life and we're going to throw mama from the train. <laughs> it was more just like clearly that's where Danny DeVito watched this movie and he was like oh genius yeah no it's more about like Sandro just thinking like wouldn't my life be better if I didn't have to deal with this blind person if I didn't have to take care of this this mm. blind person or this mentally disabled person and there's a moment at the end of the film where it appears that Julia may be paralyzed. We're not exactly sure. She kind of fell down the stairs and she may not wake up. She may be paralyzed. They don't know the extent of the damages, but he's ready to smother her with a pillow because he's just like, if she is unable to walk, like that's just, we're just back to square one. (laughs) We're back to where we started, like having to take care of people. And it's just a very (laughs) unsettling way to look at the world and way to the way to look at people and just a complete lack of feeling towards one another or empathy you mentioning empathy reminds me <laughs> you know the 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 kuleshev effect the soviet uh film theorist uh leave kuleshev he did this experiment where he shot footage of um this famous actor at the time. This is in the 1910s. And um, he shot images of, like, a coffin and some sort of, like, delicious food and, like, a kid playing. And, like, he edited edited these shots into, like, this one shot of the actor just kind of, like, looking off. And the actor's expression never changed, but because of the different things... That he supposedly edit- is looking at? Right, they're like, oh he was looking at a coffin he's sad mm-hmm. or oh, he's looking at that food he looks hungry mm. and everybody's like oh wow this guy's really a great actor right and like he was doing that to like show like well no <laughs> this is what editing does yeah and um there, there's not so much like that in this film but there's pictures hanging on the walls mm-hmm. and there's moments where like it's like the people in the pictures are watching what's going on and reacting to it. Like the picture of the woman on the wall when, like after the mother dies, I'm not sure if it's a picture of the mother or just some other like older relative. They're going through the mother's closet and uh, he just starts like ripping stuff out of it and throwing it everywhere. And like the woman in the picture on the wall just looks so disapproving, Hmm. but she's had the same expression the whole time. It's just because of what's going on next to her. And then, um, the sister has a picture of Marlon Brando yes. over the bed and he's just watching mm-hmm. everything and he's just always there. It's a picture from the wild one. He's got like his leather jacket and stuff and it's just like this presence over the movie. Like Marlon Brando is always watching. Yeah. Why do you think that they chose Marlon Brando? Because of the pent up rage of uh Sandro's character and yeah I, d- I definitely think it's related to Sandro I there were times where like Sandro the actor who played him mm. um I don't know his name 
but there were times when like he kind of looked like Marlon Brando. Yeah, it's uh, in just in just his face. Lou Castell, not to be confused with Lou Costello. Evan <laughs> Costello. Wow, now that would be. <laughs> Abbott and Costello in fist in the pocket. Oh my god. <laughs> Lou Costello. I could just see like, that. I could wouldn't, see. Wouldn't life be better without my blind mother? <laughs> yeah, but Abbott would be. The oldest brother who's just like why am yeah. i like dealing with these people i gotta get out of here and... <laughs> but anyway that movie doesn't exist so you can continue talking about um yes yeah, so i think like i and like yeah brando the picture of brando is hanging in julia's room yes and i sort of thought that like oh like he kind of looks like sandro so it's, it adds to more of this like sort of incestuous kind of like thing mm. where like she's like Oh, Marlon Brando, he's so, you know, he's so cute or, you know, whatever. He has, like he's her little celebrity crush or whatever. And he just happens to look like <laughs> uh her brother. In the there's a supplement on the the Criterion DVD which Bernardo Bertolucci talks about the film. He mentions similarities to Brando and he also mentions how there seemed to be an influence of like the British new wave kitchen sink dramas like the ang- the angry young man dramas that were coming out like um loneliness the long distance runner sunday night saturday morning wait saturday night and sunday morning <laughs> uh billy liar the sporting life and stuff like that like um and there's definitely like he definitely also seems like a figure from that which sort of is like a British Brando, like those movies, they always have like that, well, the angry young man mm. at the center of them. He's just like, I'm fed up with this life. That's my British accent. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> Wait, no, that's, that's Australian. What am I... <laughs> oh, boy. Too tired. I'm an angry young man. Oh, I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's... The look of the film, too, the great, the stark black and white photography of it, it reminds me of that, too. And it's just, I don't know, it seems so, it's so weird that, like, we live in a color world, Mm -hmm. but black and white always makes everything seem so much more real. And it would make sense, like, if you were, like, living in the 30s and 40s and you were watching newsreel footage. Like, oh, that's how we get our news. Right. Or, like, early television. Like, oh, the news comes on and it shows us the world in black and white. And that's the news. But, like, even now, and maybe it's just because I grew up watching those older movies. Mm -hmm. But, like, still, like, that sort of black and white just seems like, oh, this is really authentic and real. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does, Does it have that effect on you? It definitely... I mean, well, the image always looks sharper. Mm. There's like a like a a crispness to yeah. black and white images. That color, just for whatever reason, just everything just kind of blend is easily more blended together. Yeah, I don't know what it is about black and white that makes it feel so. It just feels raw. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it is strange because I mean, what what real experience do we have as as people with black and white images of of other people? 
I mean, I guess, I mean, in this modern day and age, the only time that you see anything in black and white is like when you watch older movies or older TV. There aren't like many new films being made in black and white. Certainly not any like TV shows being made in black and white. If you're somebody who still reads the newspaper, maybe, are, maybe a third of are, the pictures in there are black yeah, and white. Yeah. The obituary pictures are usually black and white, which That's is true. It's odd that those ones are black and white, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that is true. Oh, and another... Uh, at, the, at the end of the film, when um, there's the opera song playing, I'm not sure what song mm-hmm. that is, and like... Uh, the uh, the big spaz occurs. We'll call it. We won't call it that. <laughs> the great spaz. Um, well, that actor was in Orgasmo. Ah, from the director of Spasmo. From the director of Spasmo. <laughs> so he was having quite a Spasmo moment. Uh, but it it shows these pictures on the walls of like these women like who are sort of like laughing at the camera, I guess. But it looks like. He's having this fit, mm-hmm. and he's very upset. He's not having a very good time at all. <laughs> and there's just these like women like laughing at him, like the, the, I don't know. Just I I look forward to watching this film again at some point, and like looking for more things like that. Yeah, that are probably there. Just that makes sense. and like paying more attention to like the pictures on the walls. Well, yeah. There's um there's one scene in particular after they've sort of cleared out their mother's room Mm. there's like a wall behind them when there's uh julia and sandra sitting on the bed and they had removed a whole bunch of pictures off the wall and behind them you can see like the outlines of where the frames had been hanging for what must have been decades yeah decades all all the things that sandra does to try to like find some kind of entertainment or happiness they're they're always just like so brief and fleeting like so there's like the the scene where him and Julia are like just throwing all the furniture off the the balcony into the yard and they burn it all and they're happy for a little while they're like you know they're burning all of their, their mother's remains and they're sort of dancing around the fire and but then it's just you know nothing really changes in their life they're just they're trying to just live in the future and so or well not even the future just the present they're like just get rid of the past and stuff mm-hmm. and then like they don't they're not really well he's sort of planning for a future because he's like well if i keep killing people <laughs> then we can have a future i can get that but... chinchilla farm i always wanted yeah that's weird <laughs> that's a that's an odd like plot it's always w- weird when that character is outside of the house and interacting with other people. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, there's the great set piece where he goes to the party with the right. dancing, which, why don't we have parties like that? Where is that? I want to go there. Where there's just, like, a party where it's, like... And they're all doing, like, these... Dan- we're just going to Like, line dances, almost. Um, I mean, I would just be like him at the party. I would just sit on the sidelines <laughs> and be like, what the fuck, but... I mean, I uh, remember going to a party... Man, it must have been when I was in 8th grade or ninth grade. And there were, I remember sitting down in the basement and there were like four or five people, like girls and like a couple guys, all dancing to InSync. Uh, like InSync was blaring, like bye, bye, bye. And they were like acting out all of like the uh, music video <laughs> dance moves and stuff. And I remember just sitting down in the basement watching that, just like, 
what is going on right now? <laughs> it was really weird and awkward. I guess that would be like the modern equivalent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not really a whole lot of dancing at parties. Yeah, well, house, also nobody really... Parties, I guess. It was a different time. People used to put on suits and ties to go to yeah. places like that. And just, I, I really loved the, like, the style of that. Like, I... I don't know. If I could afford, like, a ton of suits, I think I'd wear suits fairly often. Not in every situation, but I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's different when it's, like, when that's, like, the fashion, or when that's, like, when everyone's kind of doing it. Otherwise, you're just... Otherwise, you're just, no like... No one in high school. Yeah, no one in high school. <laughs> or just, like, that one guy who, like, thinks he's being, like, sophisticated and stuff, but really you just look ridiculous. Yeah. Whatever, Max. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish, like, to go back to that the ending with the song where he's sort of like dancing and like, sort of like mockingly singing along and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I don't understand why people who make DVDs refuse to put subtitles for songs. <laughs> hmm. Like, because I'd like to know what the song was saying, right? And like what he was singing along and I, I don't You'd think that they would you think that it wouldn't be that hard because I mean it's not like there was any dialogue that it was competing with yeah like that I understand like if there's mu- if there's, a, there's song a song playing the, behind dialogue in the background you know or something yeah. which still I, I still wish there was a way to find out what it was saying and like it's one of the things that sucks about not being like multilingual mm-hmm is that there are people who like get so much more out of movies than I do because they're watching foreign films yeah. and they're like they're, they know what the people are saying, but they also are like, oh, that song's about this right. thing, and like they're using it this way. As I've gotten older, I really wish that I uh, had learned different languages when I was younger. I really wish that we lived in a place that put more emphasis on education so that they would teach us foreign languages in elementary school when our mm. brains are still open to them. Yeah, see, because it's like... I took how many years of Spanish in middle school and high school? Like five years or something like that. And I've retained very, very little of it. I took six years of French, one year of Spanish, and one month of Italian. I can't really speak any of them, but Mm -hmm. I can read Italian better than French or Spanish. I can just kind of like get the basic... Not well, because it was a beginner class, but like mm-hmm. I can get the gist of what's going on. Because really, like, like, introducing new stuff like that to a teenager is, like, that's, like, the worst time of your life to, like, be giving <laughs> someone crucial information, because you don't want li- to pay attention to it. Like, you're just not, like, interested in it. When you think of, like, first grade, second grade, third grade, it's like, we did the same math and history for three years... And you're throwing this new stuff at me in junior high? Why couldn't we have been doing that back then? Mm-hmm. Like All that time that we were practicing our cursive handwriting, <laughs> which really, you know, worked out well. Once you know your name, you don't really <laughs> need anything else, unless you want to read something in a movie. Well, like, for instance, um, on Sesame Street, there was a, there was a song that just had the uh, Spanish uh, words for numbers one through ten and that like i still know that song 
to this day. I saw it when I was must have been like you know first grade or second grade or even younger. I'm not even sure. Uno dos tres, cuatro cinco seis, siete ocho nueve, tres. So it's I don't like, remember that one. You know, like that's and that's I've so I knew how to count in Spanish like from a very young age because of that. So it's like, yeah, I mean, man, we should, you know. You just, you know what you just did to my head? You put that stupid song back in there. Not that song, but that other, so the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, do, 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 with the, with the pinball machine. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, do, do, do. Pinball machine in like an arcade? Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you don't see the arcade. You're in the pinball machine. Do you not remember that? It's like a cartoon it's from Sesame Street, and they would like this. Oh, this that. is a Sesame Street thing. Yeah. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <sighs> well, it's in there. But yeah, I mean, like that. I think it, I I wish that we had been taught at least one other language from a very young age. And like the way, like because of social media and the internet and whatnot, like we're more of like a global society in some senses. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean now, but, now in this, in this moment in time, we are more of a global society than we've ever been. But there's still a backlash to that where people are like, well, we, we have to remain American and yeah. American is, and it's like, well, like, no, we can all just be together. And like, yeah, we'll have our separate countries and there's the borders and whatnot, but like, let's learn about each other. And like, um, my cousin, uh, she was telling me the other day that her youngest daughter I can't remember how old she is and she's my goddaughter crap um I think she's in first grade maybe second grade so like six or seven yeah and they were like looking at the map and they were learning like about like where I think like Paraguay was and stuff like Latin America and things like that and and she was like complaining about it, saying like we didn't have to learn that. Like it's 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 being very hard on my kids. And it's like, well, no, but that's good because like when I was that age, I had no idea what where the hell anything was. Yeah, right. Like I didn't even realize like how to get to Glens Falls from South Glens Falls. Well, I probably knew that, but I don't know. Like no, I mean, I remember. Um, you know where my house is in South Glens Falls. Yeah. And you know where Chris's house is in South Glens Falls. Yeah. And you know how it's literally right around the corner. Yeah. Um, I remember like, it took me so long because I was just used to like getting in the car with like my parents or something and driving over to the house, maybe not necessarily even from my house, but like from somewhere else or just being dropped off there or whatever. But I remember like having, getting on my bike and being like, I don't know how to get to Chris's house and like... I remember following my mom in the car as she like drove to Chris's house and I like followed on my bike to, you know, so that I could remember where it was and stuff. It's just weird. I remember like, just, you're so clueless when you're a kid. (laughs) It's like, I don't know where the house is when it's like, I could, if I got up on my roof, I could probably see his house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I used to, um, so because you went to Harrison, you just walked to school or did you, when you're that young, do you have to take the bus? Um, for when we were in kindergarten, um, my parents drove us there. Okay. Um, or we, we kind of like carpooled with other kids on my street, like across, across the street from me. Um, so 
like the, I think the parents would kind of just like rotate like oh today we're gonna like this family's gonna drive us over there or whatever but then starting in like first grade on we just walked yeah because there were two crossing guards in between my house and Harrison to basically make to basically check and count heads and be like okay all of the kids are here and send it to the next one and then they'd recount <laughs> you know and it's really not that far yeah um but still it's good to take precaution yeah when I was in kindergarten like where I lived until I was 10 it was like they would drop everybody who lived in the development off at the at the front of the park and then we would all just scatter mm. and like it was weird that like oh I'm six years old and they're just kind of letting me wander around now and it was like not far because I, I lived in Lamplighter do you know it really like it's not the Lamplighter village I don't know what it Lamplighter or something um, where Morgan sort of, used to live yeah 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 I know where that is yeah and it's not huge when you're six you know it's pretty big yeah and I used to walk all over in there just like I'd get out of school and I'm just like I'm gonna go for a walk mm-hmm. and I just randomly go all over and not eat, like so I kind of knew my neighborhood fairly well I shouldn't have I don't like I feel like nowadays they don't well by the time that we moved they had gotten rid of the whole like one bus stop for the whole thing and they actually had like every couple blocks there was a bus Mm -hmm. stop so they would drop us off fairly close to our house but i mean i think about like just walking from my house to harrison avenue which for those who wouldn't know it's walking distance is probably like 10 minute walk maybe not this maybe not that for like a little kid but like i could probably walk that in like 10 minutes Wait, where you lived on on Hudson? On Hudson? Yeah, to Harrison Avenue. Yeah. Oh wait, to the Harrison Avenue school. School. Yeah, not the school. I'm like, why does it take you ten minutes to walk? <laughs> like, <laughs> like three houses over. No, the school. RA, the school okay. that's on the street. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, it's about like a ten to fifteen minute walk. It's like, oh no, Max has rickets or something. Why and I and I walked stuff? that distance like every day from when i was like six to when i was in sixth grade how old are you in sixth grade like 11 or 12 or something 12 yeah so for about six years i think about like if i had like a six-year-old kid i mean it must be really the anxiety of like all right go walk to school and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna (laughs) watch you i'm not gonna like I'm i'm not i'm not gonna be there I'm going to trust that you are going to walk this short distance to the school. I can understand how parents get very, like, you know, nervous about that kind of yeah. thing. Because it would be kind of nerve-wracking, you know? But and I'm sure at the, first they do watch. They just oh, kind of yeah. stay <laughs> hidden. Yeah, like... Like, oh, no, I trust I you, imagine, I trust you. I just imagine this. my dad kind of just, like, hiding in the bushes, like, watching me <laughs> and Luke as we walk to school. For at least, like, the first, you know, week or so two weeks you're probably very nervous about it but the thing about kids is like they're smarter and tougher than a lot of people give them credit for Hmm. yeah i mean i I, there are so many times i mean especially now like in our global society and reading things online and seeing different kinds of films and like wouldn't it be awesome if like you didn't have to watch movies with the subtitles if you could just like understand what they were saying Mm -hmm. like man what a world we'd live in where it's like we all had region free DVD players, and <laughs> well, I'm just and just... also just like interacting with uh, with other people. You yeah. hear people talking 
Spanish or French or whatever around you. And it's happening more and more or in this area, you know. Mm. It'd be nice to just have that. There's nothing that brings people together more than just like the common language because you have that understanding. Not that like the language barrier is too hard to get past. Like I remember when I went to Guatemala, you know, it's a predominantly Spanish speaking uh, country. And like I said, I took like five years of Spanish. So I had like, and I was much fresher back then than, than I am now. But it's still, it was like, I can't, I don't really know if I can like, I couldn't really form too many sentences, but the talking with, with people and stuff, like it's not that hard to sort of like let people know what you're trying to say, but just having that just sort of innate understanding in the same way that you understand English, just like, it's just so natural. And like, you, you're, you don't even have to try to like read something like you don't have to try to read like a sign it just you see it and you just understand exactly what it means or you don't have to try to understand the words that i'm saying you just understand them have you seen you've seen ghost dog way of the samurai yeah i have and there's like that character what is he's an ice cream man is that what he is like ghost dog has this friend and they don't they don't speak the same language ghost dog speaks english i forget what the other guy speaks but they communicate with each other Mm. and they'll just talk for like a few minutes and they'll like they'll get the emotions of what's being said even if they don't understand the words I want to watch Ghost Dog again sometime I haven't seen it in years yeah it's been it's been a long time there was there was a new uh, Jim Jarmusch movie that just came out so I was kind of like reading yeah I've heard our friend John Phelps actually saw it and he said that it was really good Um, I didn't see the last one I haven't seen any since uh, Broken Flowers which is the last one that came out where people were all like excited about Jim Jarmusch. I don't know, like nobody's like talked about him in a long time. Mm-hmm. I remember when uh, when our friend Charlotte, uh, like the first time I saw her after she had gone to Israel, and she was trying to convince me to go to Israel, and she was like, "Tim, you'd love it." Which I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> she was saying like, I was, I was like, well, I mean, like, do a lot of people speak English there? <laughs> Because, like, I just feel like I might be uncomfortable. And she's like, well, if you know a little French, you can get by. And I'm like, uh, like, I, I took six years of it. I don't think that's enough, though. Like, I don't, I can't imagine, like, just. But what's weird is, like, I used to go to the French Film Festival at SUNY Purchase every year for nine years. This was the first year I didn't go. And, like, there would be all these French people because it was put on partially by the uh, Alliance Francaise of Greenwich, Connecticut, because Greenwich is like a two-minute drive from campus, basically. So it'd be all these, like, French-speaking people who lived in Greenwich, like, on campus, and they'd all just be speaking French to each other. Mm. And the some of the filmmakers and the actors would be there, and they're all either, like, French or Belgian or Quebecois. And, like you're just like in it and you're hearing it yeah. and like words start to like jump out at you right and you start to pick things up and you start and you're you start to get kind of full of yourself like i can do this right yeah like i didn't dare speak it but i would sort of like eavesdrop and i'd pick certain sentences and stuff out eventually but then as soon as the weekend was over 
I would like try to like think back on things and I'd be like, and I it, have yeah, no fucking clue. No retention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a shame. Like there's so many things that like, just as I've gotten older, I just become more interested in a lot of the things that they tried to teach us in high school. And now I have like a genuine interest about like things like American history or just like history in general. That's like a subject that I feel like I just don't know enough about. And I've gotten really into like sort of historical documentary stuff and it's just very fascinating but I wish I had that kind of like ambition to learn back then when they were when I was actually going to a place to learn every single day, you know. But history is a tough subject for school because you have such a limited time to cover so much. Yeah. And like my sister does uh, eighth grade social studies, and it's the end of April right now, and. So guess where they are. Guess what they're taught. So they have like two months left of the school year. So, okay. So what, what kind of history did you say? Eighth grade. The second half of social studies. Second half. Of so, so, I mean, when, like. Well, when we were in high school, well, when we were in junior high, uh, social studies was split up into like the seventh grade was before the European settlers until the, the end of the Civil War. And then eighth grade started with the Reconstruction era and led up, allegedly, they kept trying to the present, but usually petered out sometime around the beginning of Vietnam. But a couple years ago, apparently that crazy old Doc Brown and his time machine messed something up because I guess more stuff happened in the past that they have to cover. So seventh grade no longer covers the Civil War because they don't have time. I don't know what was added to the past. Well, it's not but, that things, I mean, like, well, things that's are, the thing with history is, like, you can dive an infinite amount into any era. I know, and they really shouldn't, because eighth grade has to, it's set up so that no one knows what's going on in the past 20 years or so when they get out of high school. Right. Because it's easier to manipulate our votes that way. I don't know if that's what they're thinking, but that's the effect. And um, so, like, but they should not take stuff away from seventh grade and put it in eighth grade. It doesn't make any sense. Like they should, they should keep adding things to seventh grade maybe. And like, it'd be great to go into things in depth, but it's like an overview class. You can't really go into anything in depth. Um, unless you partner up with another thing, like they, they usually, uh, have like units where it's like, Oh, you're studying this in English while we're doing this in social studies. And they tie together. That's usually as in-depth as they can mm, get. Yeah. So now uh, eighth grade social studies has to cover the Civil War, which is huge. Yeah. In addition to everything that's happened in the past 150 years. So, okay. So right now this eighth grade class mm. that was your sister? Yeah. It's supposed They started with the Civil War and they're supposed to. Back in to, September. And yeah. now they're in at the end of April and, and the last, like, at three weeks they, so of school are taken up with finals. Right. So, so they basically they got, like, should be, six like, weeks. Maybe. In an ideal world, they should be, like, you know, at about, like, 9-11, I guess. <laughs> they will never get... No, I don't think... <laughs> I think 50 years from now, maybe the social studies classes will start to get to 9-11. <laughs> so are they in, like, World War Two? Yes. Wow. That's pretty fucked up. 70 years ago. 
Now this is the first. This is the, or this is the second year that they've had to do the Civil War, so they're trying out like you know how do we fit the whole curriculum into this one year like with this extra war added, mm-hmm. um, and this year is the first year of a new social studies teacher that she's working with because she's not a social studies teacher. She's a special ed teacher, but she like co-teaches that class, um, so she has to basically follow whatever the guy who's actually teaching it does. Mm-hmm. For years, she was working with Mr. Buchek. Um, did you have him? Yes, do you I remember? Did. Yeah. Um, and she always got the impression, like, oh, well, he started teaching in, like, the late 60s, early 70s or something. So, basically, that's when he stops history. Mm. <laughs> like, he's never at it. But, like, then working with, like, younger people the past couple of years after he's retired, she's like, oh, okay, I guess that's just what everybody does. Just nobody can really time it just right. And... I guess maybe now that now that sixth grade is in the junior high, yeah, it's like well no because it's a state thing it's not a school thing so they can't just really be like oh let's split up into three years because then what would happen is ninth and tenth grade which is global studies where you learn about the whole world that your country is in right they would just probably just cut that down to a year which is ridiculous to teach kids like the whole history of the world in one year like well i, I mean know. there's the mel brooks film so that, i mean that gives you a leg up right <laughs> first day of class so the teacher's just one. like take this vhs home <laughs> and that's your textbook <laughs> yeah uh i mean it's and it's got to be frustrating because i was <clears> thinking when you're like how do you get how do you cram the civil the civil war into a curriculum that's already bulging at the seams and i'm like watch ken burns series the civil war but the thing about that is like i mean each class you have is only about like 40 40 minutes minutes. it's like barely any time to like get anything across yeah 200 minutes a week yeah and what kids are thinking of at least me is like you get into a class and all you're thinking is just like i just gotta make it 40 minutes and then be able to leave here and then i just gotta get through the next one and the next one it's it's insane like thinking about 40 minutes now like we've been talking since we've been sitting down for an hour and 26 minutes imagine if like every episode we had to get everything that we're trying to get across just in 40 minutes which I mean, is earlier which is, we were thinking about 28 minutes so. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean and that the 40 minutes is less than any episode we've ever done yeah it's just insane to like get a real kind of like forty minutes is dialogue less, going. Forty minutes is less than an episode of A and E biography. It's less than an episode of any TV show that's because most TV shows are about if they're an hour long an episode, yeah. it's like about forty two, forty five minutes or so. Well, I was just thinking like A and E biography is like when I was growing up, it was like wow, it's a really informative show, right? And then when you watch them now, it's like wow, they're really skimming. Everything. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Really and like, 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 but at the same time, puffing them full of nonsense. I don't know. You know what but, I did when I got really into uh, uh, history documentaries? Mm. It stemmed from me just like randomly watching Ken Burns' The Civil War, which I still haven't seen. And it just captivated me. I was like, "This is amazing!" It it like really helped me just like get into history in like an entertaining way and i understood more about the civil war than i think i ever did 
in school. Because, I mean, there's a lot more time you're able to go into, like, much more detail, follow the war from, like, the early beginnings to, like, every inch of the way, you know? And so I went on to Netflix and was like, I want to watch... I, I wish there was a series that was just, like, from the early beginnings of, like, America all the way to modern day time. Basically, like, I wanted to create, like, a curriculum for myself of just American history. So I looked at all of the history documentaries that are on Netflix and listed them all in chronological order of, like, the events that they cover. So they could kind of, like, <laughs> watch in order from, like, you know, the early settlers. Actually, I started with Columbus. Racist. Well, he didn't discover America. I there know, were people I, here for hundreds of years before that. Anyway, actually, no, you on. know what? That's not true. Because I did watch a documentary about Leif Erikson. So, who on you? Was he here before the indigenous people? He found he. <laughs> I, it's whatever was on Netflix, <laughs> Tim. I don't need to explain myself to you. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, I started. I started with. I was basically like you know the American sort of view of history, I guess. From the from the outsider, either from the European uh, perspective of the whole American finding the new land and, like, settling it and mm. dealing with the indigenous people and all that stuff. And this was after I had watched a few that were, like, really great documentaries. And then I watched this A&E biography, which was Christopher Columbus, and I was just like, this is terrible. <laughs> it's garbage. It just is like so, because it just glosses over so much stuff. And it's like, it's just lame. The most enjoyable ones are for people you don't really know that much about. Yeah. I mean, I don't, didn't know that much about uh, Christopher Columbus. I mean, what do you know about him? He was a rapist and a slave trader and uh, just a, a dick. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of true. Yeah. He definitely He um apparently you know, once he landed down there, not in America, but anyway. Um well, America Well, um the Americas. Yeah. Yeah. The new world. Um like how how exactly how long did it take for him to realize he wasn't in India? I think that's mainly a myth. Because we were we still call them Indians. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just one of those things that just like See, he must have thought stopped. he was in India long enough to start calling them Indians and for it to catch on for like people we grew up with to call them Indian. Like, I don't, it just doesn't make any sense. It is very weird. Yeah. But I think the, the whole idea that he, uh, I mean, he was looking for a way to get to India. Yeah. And he said that he could do it. He could like sail across the ocean. And I mean, part of his, his whole like thing is kind of like compelling. Like the story of it is like interesting because you're you have a world where it's like and there is the myth that like he discovered that the world was round which people was knew prove, already everyone already knew that yeah. and that's why he was setting out that way across the atlantic because he was like i can reach 
India if I travel along this ocean. But nobody had ever done that before. And there were a lot of people who were saying, like, you, it's impossible. Like, you can't sail that far because there's dangerous shit out there. And <laughs> there was a lot of superstition about just, like, what would happen. And so, I mean, like, it is, he is an interesting sort of character in that, like, you know, he had the balls to, like, basically sail into the literal unknown and just trust that he could make it somewhere. And then to, like, land in this place that is literally this huge, like, think about how big North America and South America are, the Americas. It's this gigantic fucking two continents worth of of land that the to the europeans like they thought like they had discovered all that the world had to offer basically and then to find this like totally basically alien world it's just crazy like that's like the last that's like the the last time that like something like that has ever happened where it's just like you we you literally discover this entire alien planet basically that because even with was right under your nose like even with space exploration we can see it before we mm-hmm. go there so we know it's there yeah it's just a matter of how to get there and this was like but yeah they didn't even they didn't know even that it know. was there yeah. it was just like you stumble across this crazy place with these like people who you've never seen then they've never seen each other before like the indigenous people had never seen like a horse before it's it's a really fascinating story. But yeah, I mean Columbus isn't the kind of person that you are taught in like kindergarten. Like Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, landed in America in fourteen ninety two. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> he's not like the 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 happy kinda guy. I mean his story was is is crazy because yeah i mean he one of the things he did was when he i think he was in in the americas for like he was in he was there for a while before he went back to europe yeah um and he took slaves with him and we're like check these guys out have you ever seen anybody like this before like we got a whole bunch of slaves back there and uh the spain was who he was uh king ferdinand who he was uh sailing for was like awesome and like we've got lots of gold too and i mean they just fucking plundered and just destroyed so much of the civilization i mean it's yeah it's crazy i think he took about like two or three trips back and forth across the atlantic and but he ended his life ended like pretty tragically like he was just like a lone old man like he was sort of he's like Somebody else had sort of worked him out of, like, the riches that had been going on. He, like, was arrested or... I can't remember the exact thing, but like, it's it's an interesting story. I'd like to see, like, a like a movie about... Like, a really great movie about Christopher Columbus. Have you seen any of the movies that are out? No, I haven't. They're probably pretty bad, though. I remember it because in the whole bit... Like, in, in 1992, it was, like, the big... Oh, it's oh, 500 yeah. years! And there was, like, all... There were, like, TV specials. There was a special issue of Archie. And there were two movies. Um, oh, I forget who directed them. Or one of them was... Ridley Scott, I think. Really? Maybe. 
or someone like him? <laughs> was it Chris Columbus? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't. <laughs> that would be amazing. One of them had Marlon Brando. From the director it. of Home Alone. <laughs> Chris Columbus. The Christopher Columbus story. But I've just I've heard very bad things about them. They're they're both very like reverential like serious like yeah. when we were talking about like bible movies right in the, la- in the last episode they're like oh this is a serious sub- we need to treat him like some sort of deity and right. it's like well you're just gonna piss people off because he wasn't he was just a person like everybody yeah. you can't just elevate him because then it'll look like you're forgiving all of his sins and like uh, what what's the state that just i don't know if it was today i read about it today this is a news story that i forgot to even mention to you um they're not going to celebrate Columbus Day anymore. Or, well, they're going to celebrate that day, but they're calling it something. I think it's Indigenous Peoples Day or something. Really? Um, and there are, I mean, like, there are states that don't celebrate Columbus Day. But this, I want to say Idaho. I mean, um, it is really weird to, like, think about, like, all of the various people in American history. And you think about how many of them have national holidays that in which we remember them there's not many there's you know george washington abraham lincoln martin Luther not King. really anymore president's day well they're kind of combined into president's day right although every state has its own definition of what that means i i always thought that it was like because george washington and abraham lincoln their birthdays are kind of close right they kind of like oh met in the middle and they're like well president's day but some states especially southern states did never celebrated lincoln's birthday and um well that makes sense like president's day like that those states that do celebrate it like especially like the southern states are like well it's for all the presidents mm. and that's the day just because it so happens that these two like famous presidents are from that month right, and like right. and like nobody even like various states spell it differently and put like an apostrophe in different places and like there's one that's like president apostrophe s day which implies like so this president like whoever's president this year like right what? i don't know but yeah so all right so well at one point yes washington lincoln then we got martin luther king and christopher columbus christopher columbus is that it yeah and because the, then there's like you know veterans day and memorial day and no specific person. Flag yeah. day. But like, so like, why Christopher Columbus exactly? Like, he wasn't... Why not Leif Erikson? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just seems, it's kind of arbitrary <laughs> because, I mean, he landed in the New World in 1492. I mean, there were hundreds of years before America was even founded. Do other American countries celebrate Columbus Day? I wouldn't imagine so. I, I would I would guess that it's a that it's like a USA thing. But he wasn't. He did he ever come to the body of land now known as? Not to my USA? knowledge. Huh? Because it wasn't until later when like Ponce de Leon and those guys like went north and went to like Florida and I think that's just that's weird. But I mean, there there are so many great, like, interesting stories from that whole time period. It's it's a fascinating point in history, just because it's like this clashing of two cultures and and worlds that are just like totally different and alien to each other. And 
I kind of want to reread the Archie comic from that year now just to see their take on it. If they touched on any controversy. Mm. Probably not. It's probably a very sanitized view of it. So, fist in the pocket. <laughs> <laughs> we really got far away from the, the mark here. That's fine. Um, I don't even know. Oh, we started talking about like Italian... The language subtitles and stuff, and then, and then that yeah. got into like education and history. Oh boy! <laughs> got into one of our patented old man rants. The bad thing about education today: <laughs> these things they're teaching the children. <sighs> oh boy! So yeah, I mean, fists in the pocket. <laughs> Yeah, there's no going back. Uh, yeah, I, just, I really loved the movie. It was a great movie. And I feel like, I mean, I wasn't really looking at the time or anything. Are we giving it, like, short shrift? Like, I mean, we're an hour and 40 minutes in. I know we are, but how far into that did the movie stay? Like, how long did we talk about the movie itself? I think it was probably at least over half hour. All right. As long as it's over half an hour, because, like, yeah, it was a damn good movie. It was it was a really great movie. It was my better, brain is just totally fried. It was right better now. than Deliverance. Like Deliverance, that made sense. Like we were, kind of, I mean, and Deliverance was a good movie. But we're like, <laughs> why, why are you randomly comparing it to Deliverance? <laughs> no, because that's an episode that we both remember as one where we were struggling to think of things to talk about oh, in regards yeah. to the movie, or at least we've talked about that before, right? Um, and this one, I feel like there's a lot of stuff to talk about, but I can't think of a way to talk about it or i can't i don't know yeah it's a, it's a tough nut to crack in a way hmm. and my i'm just like my mind is just not like equipped to deal with it right now <laughs> like i said i was already really tired before we even watched the movie and then it took us like two hours to get this damn thing recording properly and then people be blowing up my phone and then just yeah we had to run out break in to the tv station and get an sd card it was quite an adventure yeah wish you guys could have been there but anyway we're talking about uh language and one of the thing that's in, the things that's interesting is when you watch foreign films particularly like from one country and you're watching a lot of them you can sometimes <laughs> really like you start to like pick up different words and stuff and like what you were kind of saying is like you start to feel like yeah yeah i'm smart i can i know words i know some (laughs) things they say well maybe in this next month we'll get a little bit of that uh from the japanese language because may is japanese cinema month here on talking movies or the cinema of japan to be more specific so yeah, um, kind of a well, somewhat random choice. There's a new Godzilla movie coming out, and so we wanted to find a way, an excuse to watch the original Godzilla. We, and we haven't really done many foreign films um, aside from like Italy, the, the Jalo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the only foreign films we've done are Italian films. That's true, and um, which I'm fine with, um, but like. I'm glad that we're ending this month with a foreign film. To yeah, sort it kind of be sets like, us up and, and do it. 
Like, oh, we're not just like, you know, we're sophisticated, worldly film viewers. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're not just jokers over here watching Pluto Nash and <laughs> John Carter. But uh, we're pretty set in the four films we're gonna watch this month, so it won't have to necessarily be a yeah, Fist of the a Pike, mystery every. This was the first one, first subtitled movie that we've watched, right? Um. Because La like, Ragazza Case Pavo Tropo. Was that subtitled? Wasn't it? Oh. Yeah. I think, because I just remember, like, most of those were dubbed, right? Yeah. I mean, it was dubbed, but it was subtitled, as was Fist in the Pocket. Well, I mean, English dubbed. Hmm. Well, anyway. I actually, I, one of the things about Fist in the Pocket, I would, like, at one point in the movie, I don't remember why... Like th- something had happened where like something clicked in my mind like wait are they speaking Italian or are any of them like speaking English or something and like so I started like watching their lips and like looking at the subtitles and they, mm. they did mostly match up so yeah sometimes I I look at that specifically when there's like an English actor or an American actor in one of those movies like John Saxon shows up and you're like yeah. is he mouthing English and she's mouthing Italian that must have been really confusing <laughs> on the set but anyway next week we've got our first silent film from the legendary Japanese filmmaker Yasujiro Ozu from 1932 actually which was a year that we were just talking about and it's also going to be our first silent film that's what I just said did you? yes when? I said <laughs> next week we will, we will have our first silent film <laughs> cut this out I completely missed that. <laughs> okay. I, I thought you said first Japanese film. So, okay, all right. No, but it is also our first Japanese film. <laughs> and it's great that we're talking so much about, like, the different languages and stuff, and the next movie we watch, no language. Yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, there'll be title cards. And then uh, we're going to follow that up with... Well, we didn't say the name of the movie. I was born. <laughs> I'm but... just drunk. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> the name. The name of the film next week is "I Was Born," but. but... Dot yeah. dot dot. St- interesting title. I'm. I don't know anything about this movie. Tim just suggested that we watch it next uh, last week. He I've always. Up. I've always wanted to see it. I've. The only Ozu film I've seen before is Tokyo Story. Mm. Um. Cool thing is that I was born, but is on hulu plus and youtube and youtube so yeah if you want to watch it and check it out or so we'll be uh we'll be able you'll be able to do that so we're gonna be going through a quick overview of japanese cinema history so we're starting in 1932 with a silent film then we're gonna jump to 1954 godzilla um and we'll be watching gojira the japanese version because neither of us have seen it. We've only seen the Americanized version of Godzilla. King of the Monsters. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So we will be watching Godzilla. <clears throat> cool thing is, that's another movie that's on Hulu Plus. So you can watch that too. Then following that, we'll be sticking in 1954 to watch Akira Kurosawa's samurai classic, Seven Samurai. Which is a movie that Tim has struggled to watch over the years. We'll go into that on that episode. (laughs) But it's one of my favorite films. Um, And you can't really talk about 
Japanese cinema without talking about Kurosawa in some form or another. And Seven Samurai is uh, one of his best. Is that on YouTube? I want to watch it on my phone. Probably not, and that's probably a very bad <laughs> idea. And then we'll round out the month with an anime film. Um, probably the anime film. The definitive anime film. If you're going to watch one anime film in your life, make it this one. Akira. From 1985, I believe. It's a movie that both of us have seen before. I saw it a long time ago and I have very vague memories. Mm. It was overshadowed in my mind by Vampire Hunter D. Ah. (laughs) Which I loved growing up. For some reason, I didn't watch Akira that much. Yeah, Akira is one that I've returned to over the years again and again. And, uh... It just never gets old. Every time I watch it, it's like, it just gets better and better. So this is a good month. I'm excited about these movies because, I mean, I've seen Godzilla, Seven Samurai, and Akira, but Seven Samurai and Akira are two of my favorite movies. So I can't wait to talk about them, see what you think about them. I'm really excited about this month because, like, as we just said, like, the only foreign films we really talked about are Italian films, and Mm -hmm. I spend the last two semesters of college like focused mostly on Italian cinema. Yeah. And I like, I feel somewhat strong in like my knowledge of it, but Japanese cinema, I've, I've seen a fair amount of Japanese films, but I'm really clueless as to like the history of their cinema and how it all ties together. Mm -hmm. And like, I really want to learn about this. And tying into our discussion about, uh, education and, and being able to not have uh, being able to cram entire history into <laughs> short period. I mean, we've only got four episodes, four six-hour episodes. <laughs> we've only got four movies to choose, and um, you know. But there, I think it's a pretty interesting overview. Yeah, you know, we have our we have a silent film, which I've never seen. A I think the earliest Japanese film I've seen is probably from the forties. Is that a Kurosawa film? Yeah, an early Kurosawa, probably. Um, so I haven't seen anything before that, which I'm I'm really curious. And we've got a kaiju. We've got a kaiju, giant monster movie. The giant monster movie. And then a feudal Japan samurai film and an anime. We were thinking about working in a, uh, a horror, a J-horror, but... Godzilla kind of has that covered to an extent. Uh, yeah, I mean, it. I'll tell you, the original Godzilla is like it plays more like a horror movie than like. He's not your friendly what late sixties <laughs> Godzilla with his son and everything. And, yeah, with all the children. And Jet the Jaguar. Go Godzilla, go! And he's like battling the smog monster and shit. But yeah, I'm excited. This is gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm so. fucking psyched. All right, I think that'll about wrap it up here. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we will see you next time.